G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. We saw the people, we spoke to NGOs up there, we spoke to pastors that have got personal contact with these people, and the stories are horrific. For instance, a brother or even an uncle will take one of the girls on some pretense going to buy something. They will hand the girl over to another agent. Now that could happen three to five times before they get to India. This is their own, sometimes their own flesh and blood. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, one would hardly expect somebody from a small town in country New South Wales to go on to have a tremendous positive impact on remote areas in Asia. But that is exactly what has happened for our guest today. Jeff Dar is the Managing Director of Gospel for Asia Australia and, in his role, has travelled many times to various parts of Asia, including Nepal, where they're working to stop sex trafficking. We'll find out about that and some of the other ways his organisation is helping in that part of the world. But first, let's find out about his background as Jeff has a chat with Karen Hunt. Jeff, Gospel for Asia, that's your organisation. You're based in Toowoomba, but let's just press the rewind button. Jeffrey Dar, where did you grow up and uh, what was your early life characterised by? Well, I grew up in a a small village, really, uh, on the uh, New South Wales-Queensland border in a place called Jennings. It uh, actually was a connecting railhead for the New South Wales and Queensland railways. Yeah. And one side in Queensland was called Wollongarra, and the New South Wales side, which divided us with just a five-strand barbed wire fence, Jennings. And that was it. That was a very small township, but it had a lot of activity because there was a huge meatworks there. There was an army base, yeah. uh, both sides of the border. There was, of course, the railhead, which transshipped a tremendous amount of uh, stop feed. And, uh, of course, there was passenger trains used to come through. And So population-wise, are we talking like a couple of hundred, a couple of thousand? How uh, small is small? Well, in those days, it probably... Mm, about a thousand people, I, I would imagine. Okay. But a lot of the workforce would go back to Stanthorpe, which was uh, in those days 24 miles, mm-hmm. and south to Tenterfield, because they were bigger regional towns, and uh, most people came from those areas and come into work and went home from work. So the, the town died after five o'clock, as in people, and we would go across to the uh, calf and. Um, have a milkshake or something like this and go to the picture theatre Wednesday night and yeah. Saturday night till the poor old picture theatre got burnt down. It was a shame. It was a big loss, I guess. Big um, part of the community, hey? Well, it was because uh, we didn't just have movies there. We had talent quests. There was special functions like entertainment. In those days, there was no TV. So they were big occasions and, you know, they were well attended. People would come and put on acts and, and different things. It was just wonderful. And out the back, of course, there was a, a, a steam boiler that drove all the um, generator for the electricity and this a huge thing hissing away and someone out the back would be stoking it with cordwood. Yeah, I've got wonderful memories of those times. 
Tell me, back in those times, was faith a part of your growing up years? Was country church life a key part of your your family upbringing? Yes and no. Really, uh, my mum was a believer. Uh, my dad believed in everything but God, I think, at that time. And mum would take me off to church, and I eventually got confirmed in the Anglican Church. Uh, look, I, I did have a belief in God, but I had no relationship. And um, many years later, I was 37, actually, okay. when I really had an encounter with God, and I realized that I was a sinner, and it was it was quite dramatic, actually. Well, it's not hard to explain, but very emotional in a way. Just such a change came over my life. My wife, my parents, um, my friends couldn't believe it. Where were you at this time in your life, Jeff? We were just out of Wollongarra mm-hmm. on a farm. Mm-hmm. We had gone share farming and uh, we had 30 acres of vegetables that took up a lot of our energy and time. But in those days, it was a bit hit and miss with crops because you had no real control of them unless you were well established and quite large. Mm. In those or that period of time, we did strike a drought, and of course, you know, prices dropped dramatically because the fruit wasn't of top quality. And it was actually in that period of time when I was invited to go to a college meeting, and uh, someone challenged me about the gospel at that particular time, and it just struck me so powerfully. I can remember that night vividly being born again. I had to drive home about 30-something-odd miles. I'm talking miles because that was those days. I remember I thought I could have floated out of the car. You know, it felt like all the chains and the past of my life and so forth was just smashed. It was really a liberating time for me and a revelation time as well. So you literally heard the good news that made an impact for the first time. Oh, absolutely. I was ripe for the picking. Yeah. You know, 37, married with three children, going broke slowly on the land, uh, facing a drought, that type of thing. And God got my attention very, very rapidly. So when you said we, you're speaking of your wife. Where did you meet your wife? Where did your young adult years take you? Were you always in country New South Wales? Yes. My wife was just down the road about seven miles. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Uh, I remember in those days you could hitchhike very freely and I would take off to Stanthorpe sometimes through the week and then on, sometimes on the weekend. I remember coming home, on the, uh, I caught the local bus this time and uh, Monica got on as a schoolgirl, yeah. high school girl, <laughs> with her friend. I was sitting up the back and I think they were the only two at the front of the bus. Uh, they got on the bus and I thought, hmm, Nice, nice girls, nice, nice country girls, because yeah. they were real country. I mean, they were they were in the orchard, orchard country mm-hmm. around. If any of the listeners know this area, Girraween National Park, Beautiful. and um, it's very rocky around there, of course, and granite country, and uh, it grows wonderful grapes and stone fruit. That's what my wife's parents farm was it it grew cherries and stone fruit and grapes so you saw a nice sweet one in the bus hey yeah yes i did and uh it didn't take a a lot of uh, notice i I mean look i was only about probably 15 at the most myself no i might have been 16 and monica would have been uh, whatever she would have been she would have been 12 yeah so monica was a roman catholic girl and they had a fairly strong youth group at that time 
And I remember that they would put out invitations occasionally, barbecues or swimming down at one of the creek holes with perhaps a barbecue after whatever. Uh, that seemed to be the... That was all there was, I guess. Oh, the simple, uh, fun things of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'd, we'd all rock up, us guys, with our real chrome hair styles and slick backsides, you know. And uh, I, I remember Monica years later telling me, oh, she was so frightened of those Wollongarra boys. Ah, oh, dear. <laughs> Deary me. Reminds me of the Happy Days show. Yes. <laughs> You're bringing back a lot of memories here talking about these things. Jeff, you mentioned just before about your children. How many again, did you say? Four. And are they all in country, New South Wales as well? Uh, well, wonderful thing about it, they're all here in Toowoomba now. They weren't. They were a bit scattered and because we were overseas away for five years and that's when they were a bit scattered and of course when we came back, they all wanted to get back around the family and, you know, be a family again and so most of them came back this way. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Jeff Dar, Managing Director of Gospel for Asia, Australia. And we've been finding out about his background. Next, we'll learn about the work his organisation is doing in Asia, including Nepal, where they're working to stop sex trafficking. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with Jeff Dar, the Managing Director of Gospel for Asia, Australia which is based in Toowoomba, Queensland. Before the break, we learned about his background, growing up in a small country town in New South Wales. Next, we'll find out about the important work Gospel for Asia is doing in various parts of Asia and the impact this is having on the lives of the people being helped. Now, I know, Jeff, that both you, your wife, you have a real heart for kids and not just for your own kids, for for Aussie kids here, but you have a real heart for the children in Asia and particularly in India. So let's hone in now on uh, Gospel for Asia. When was your first trip overseas and how did you get to be a part of this organisation? I got saved. We were in a church that was uh, very mission-minded. As I learnt about the Kingdom of God and uh, the, the command to go into all the world, that sort of all seemed to just sit well with us. We were fascinated when missionaries would come through and talk about what they were doing and what was happening. And uh, anyway, eventually we went to Bible college and after that we thought, well, we'd like to go onto the mission field. I did one year full-time and then the rest by correspondence. We ended up going onto the mission field. First of all, we started on a ship ministry in L.A., um, uh, U.S. That's a far cry from country New South Wales. Yes, it was a huge step. And uh, although I I travelled when I was younger, before I got married, I did uh, the European-England type of trip for two years. That young lady I saw on the bus was more attractive than uh, (laughs) uh, travel. And we eventually got married anyway. It ended up being about four years that we spent in Honduras, which was a fantastic experience. We had two of our children with us at the time. So Honduras was for a few years? How long was that for? It was four years. One year with the ship ministry and and, uh, four years in Honduras. Okay. And then uh, 
whilst we were there, um, I read a book called Revolution in World Missions. And uh, that's the book that uh, we give away now with Gospel for Asia. I read the book there in Honduras. We were working with different churches and uh, a school. And I read, read the book and I was absolutely shell-shocked in one way. And in another way, it spoke to my heart very clearly because our passion was really for people to, to experience a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and to be set free from their sins and because that's what happened to me. It was so liberating and we just wanted that. And so when I read the book, Revolution World Missions, that's what the, the, the missionaries or the native missionary or the indigenous missionaries were doing in Asia because that's where the work, predominantly where the work is of mm-hmm. Gospel for Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's through the 1040 window mm-hmm. or the resistant belt as it is known. So I said to Monica, I said, look, this country here in Honduras has had the gospel. We learnt this as we went along, of course. And it's had the gospel for 120, maybe 130. It could have even been a little longer. Preached to it and the witness of Christ. And we thought, well, it is hardly missions. Because Jesus said to, to, to preach that gospel into all nations, countries, tongues and people, groups. And then, well, comes the end. But... He wanted that preached in all nations. So we felt that Honduras had a reasonable, established church and presentation of the gospel. So it was hardly what you would call an evangelized. And after reading the book, I just I was so convicted that uh, I didn't really know what to do, but I knew we had to leave Honduras because we were basically come to an end yeah. and uh, wasting our time because there was an established church there who could speak the Spanish language and understand it very well. So we ended up leaving within a month after reading that book, mm. which is pretty quick. Uh, yeah. Although God had been speaking to us uh, in different ways, and I guess the book just joined the dots together for us. On our way back to Australia, we via Dallas, Texas, where the head office of the USA for Gospel Fraser is, and we met the people there. We, we came home to Australia, had to get back into earning a living because we actually went on our own finances to Honduras. But we came home, we had to work. So we did that and we were asked to take on the office for Gospel Fraser several months later. We joined and uh, took on the responsibilities here in Australia for Gospel Fraser. And just recently we were over in uh, Nepal. Monica and I love to uh, walk and do treks. And uh, we ended up going on a holiday break to Nepal specifically to do a bit of a recce on women trafficking. Because we were so convinced and convicted that you know they they need all the help they can get because mm. it's just epidemic in those nations to the north of well northern India and into Nepal and Bhutan, Sikkim, those uh, nations up there. The people are so handsome. The girls are extremely beautiful. They're prime targets for these uh, traffickers. Mm. They fetch high prices. Uh, in India and some of the other nations that they smuggle to. Mm. So we did this trek and we put up a, a bit of a Facebook and did a program for trafficking women or trekking to stop trafficking. That's okay. what was our title. So you saw firsthand the bonds of poverty, but as a result of that, the bond of human flesh trafficking in essence, hey? Exactly. We were shocked. To see all that, you know, uh, there's roadblocks everywhere in Nepal mm-hmm. simply to check on insurgencies, which yeah. is, comes from the Maoists, 
And this is what the sign said right at a checkpoint. It says, human trafficking is sin and a big curse to our society. Please don't sell your sister, don't sell your daughter's dignity, and don't sell their innocence. The sex trade is the AIDS of society, and AIDS is a symbol of death. And it goes on for another six points. I won't read them now. We saw the people. We spoke to NGOs up there. We spoke to pastors that have got personal contact with these people. And the stories are horrific. Mm. For instance, a brother or even an uncle will take one of the girls on some pretense going to buy something. They will hand the girl over to another agent. Now, that could happen three to five times before they get to India. Mm. This is their own, sometimes their own flesh and blood. Mm. It, it all springs from the caste system, which was the, well, the beginning of the slave trade, basically. It's just uh, out of control. It's, it's epidemic. You can read all about these things yeah. on our website, but there's plenty of other websites. Even the UN uh, report on, you know, something like 7,000 to possibly as high as uh, 15, even 18, 20,000 girls yeah. just in Nepal alone are trafficked each year. Well, I hear on your heart, Jeff, and, and I know you well enough to know that you have a real burden to reach as many of these kids as possible. Yeah. And uh, you've been a part of establishing a network of Bridge of Hope centres. Tell us a little bit about those centres and, and how you're able to bring hope and provide education to some of these kids. The Bridge of Hope centres were established to help the untouchables, predominantly the Dalit families mm. of India. Mm-hmm. Now, the Dalits number somewhere in the vicinity of 300 million people. Mm. It's huge, you know, it, it, you just can't get your head around it most times. Look, we just do it one at a time, one village at a time. Education is the key. Most people that are up there with these children will tell you the same thing. If we can educate them, we can then save them because they can think outside the box, they can think for themselves, they can make up their own mind of what is happening around about them. Whereas before, they had no education, they were so easily enticed. Yeah, innocent and vulnerable. Oh, so vulnerable. Look, they are. This is sometimes not so good for them when the person is trying to, you know, either kidnap them or tell them lies about a job that's coming up or something like this. Mm. So these children, through the Bridge of Hope centres, they're learning to read and write. They're not just learning for a better future here on earth. They're learning and being educated for eternity, aren't they? That's right. It's about setting them up for life here and now, but of course for eternity, as you said. It's something that will reverberate throughout eternity, but it also affects their families. Oh, yeah. Because most of these children are first-generation readers Mm -hmm. and writers. And, of course, when they go home, the parents are very eager to hear what they've learned at school today. So, in in fact, the student becomes a teacher. They're teaching mum and dad, uncles and aunts, grandparents, because they all live within the same village or same house even many times. Could be anything up to, you know, 15 people in some places that are living in such a small area. Yeah, so they're affecting a lot of people. And uh, the social change, economical change that comes... And the spiritual change just transforms these whole villages that embrace a a Bridge of Hope centre. And, uh, of course, where we couldn't preach the gospel before, we're invited 
many times we're invited, they come pleading and say, please, we've seen what happened in you know, such and such a village. Please come to our village. We'll provide a land or we'll build you a little you know, bamboo hut or it could be some, something more substantial at times. But, you know, they, they really are keen to have their children educated. Is there a, a particular prayer need you have at the moment that you'd like us to pray for? Well, I'd love, uh, yes, I would love for prayer. Um, <clears throat> probably the biggest thing we face is apathy mm-hmm. in, in our country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my prayer would be that God would touch people's hearts to share their wealth, to share their life with somebody else, apart from their own immediate family and workmates and friends, to look out beyond themselves in some way by either going in a walk or supporting some walkers or just uh, giving a donation towards uh, the walk itself or the marathon, as we call it, as well. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we just that, that would be my prayer, that the, the apathy would uh, clear and so that they could see eternity. Because we're only here for a short time, aren't we? And I think it's a great opportunity while we've got our living standard. Yeah. And um, hopefully we've all got Jesus in our hearts and um, that will make all the difference for these other people that don't have the Lord as Lord and Saviour and who can make all the difference in their lives. So that's that's my prayer. Yeah, well, there you go. We put that out there. People listening in your praying circles within your church, your family, pray against a spirit of apathy. There are many different mission organizations around. We know that, all doing their best for a particular cause. But right now, for Gospel for Asia Australia, working with the people in that part of the country, shoot a prayer up, pray that God will bless the work mm-hmm. that they're doing. And, Jeff, God bless you and Monica, like I said, and uh, thanks so much for sharing some of your early days even in Jennings, New South Wales. (laughs) And uh, we wish you well. You're based now in Toowoomba in Queensland. Thanks for your time, Jeff. I've been talking with Jeff Dar, Managing Director of Gospel for Asia here in Australia. Again, thanks for your time. God bless, Jeff. Thank you, Karen. God bless you too. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Jeff Dar, the Managing Director of Gospel for Asia Australia, otherwise known as GFA. It was great to hear how they're helping people in Asia, but at the same time, it was shocking to hear about the sex trafficking that's going on and how people are actually selling their own family members for money. It's encouraging to know that GFA is doing something about it. The Bible says in Isaiah, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. You can learn more about Gospel for Asia at their website, gfaau.org. That's gfaau.org. Well, thanks for joining us for Jeff's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. He looked me in the eye one day and said, you're going to embarrass our family. You're going to be the biggest failure, the biggest loser of us all. And... um, those words stung and they hurt. I was a college student at that time and um, make a long story short, I decided I would end it all. It is not uncommon in India during examination time and results time for young men and women to toy with that till this very day in India. International author and speaker Ravi Zacharias is one of the most successful defenders of the Christian faith in all the world. However, before he put his faith in Jesus, struggles with his father led to a suicide attempt. We'll find out how God rescued him from despair next time. 
The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.